All right, so last time we talked, we were in Romans chapter three. Romans chapter three, incredible set of verses, 21 to the end there in 31, about justification by faith alone. How am I saved? I am justified by faith alone, period. There is nothing more. You say, time out. Wait a second. This church in Rome, it had a mixture of believers. The, the Roman Empire kicked all the Jews out. You had a Gentile church. The Jews come back. Now you've got a mixture of believers again, and Paul's writing to this church. And some of those Jewish believers are probably saying, whoa, 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 wait a second. What about the law? What about circumcision? What about Abraham? What about all the things we had to do in the Old Testament? Now, Paul, is this a different religion? What are you trying to say to us here? We're justified by faith alone. How does this work? Paul anticipates this question. So bring it to a modern context for our day and say, what are the questions we might be asking? We might be asking, time out, time out here, hold up. But that's cheap grace. That's easy believism. You can't seem to be indicating that just by believing I'm saved, that's not enough. And in fact, if you're like me when I was young, six years old is kind of when this thing started. I remember laying in bed, not wanting to go to hell because hell was hot and it didn't have air conditioning and I thought that was bad and God was wrathful and vengeful. And so every night in bed, I prayed, God, I wanna be saved because I don't wanna go to hell. And the next night I would wonder, did I say it right last night or did I do the right things last night? And so I would pray again, Lord, I don't wanna go to hell. And the next night, and I don't know how many nights I prayed, I don't wanna go to hell, but I bet God got tired of hearing that. He's like, I got it, move on. Like, what's next? What's in your heart? And there's probably some of you that have had similar issues of where you're wondering, did I say the prayer right? It's not a magical potion. This is not Harry Potter. You don't have to get the words just right in order for a spell to happen. That's not what salvation is. And you're still wondering though, am I saved? Was my faith enough? Did I do what I'm supposed to do? And you've got questions. And I wanna say to you that most of us have been there. Most of us have had those questions about have we genuinely trusted in God the right way or in enough so that we could be saved? Because this seems way too easy. Believe and I'm saved? And then there are some of you wrestling with this. Okay, time out. What about James? James chapter two. Faith without works is dead. How does that fit together? Because this Bible doesn't make sense when I'm reading this in Romans and that in James. I'm glad you asked. We'll get there. So let's start it in this way. Here's your main idea. Your main idea is that God provides radical, unconditional forgiveness through faith alone. And that's right. I'm doubling down on it being faith alone, just like Paul was. And the only reason I'm doubling down on it is because scripture doubles down on it. And so as we walk through this, we're gonna see that Paul anticipates this And he's gonna lay this out for them. And I'm gonna try to lay it out for you. But what he's saying to them is, no, 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 seriously here. It is faith alone. It's not all your good works. It's not all the stuff that you're gonna do. Now, we are gonna be saved by faith alone to do good works. But we're not saved by the good works. We're saved by the faith alone. And that's how all of this is gonna fit together. So here's your outline, and then I wanna set you up for some key words that I want you to take note as we go through here. 
Your outline is that we are saved by faith, not works. We are saved by faith, not rituals. Circumcision in this text, you could insert baptism for us. We're saved by faith, not the law. It's not keeping the law. We are saved by faith in a promise-keeping God. It's all about the object of our faith. It's not about how great our faith is. So if you're in the room right now and on a scale of like one to 10, your faith is a 0.5, but your faith is in God, then you're good. If your faith is an 8.5, well, you're probably a little bit arrogant and need some humbling coming along in your future because it's probably not an 8.5. But if you think your faith is an 8.5 and it's in God, you're no more saved than the 0.5 if you have believed in God, the promise-keeping God. All right, so let's look at our text. Let's walk through this. Here are key words you gotta know. Faith and belief, they're connected. So when you read in here and the authors for variance because as you've written essays and somebody says this is too repetitious, you're using the same word over and over and over again. Faith and belief is varied throughout, but it, it correlates back in the original Greek. So you've got similar words there. Justification and righteousness, similar words there. And then counted in here, like isomai, is a word in the Greek that's gonna recur over and over. It's 11 times in this particular text. Faith and belief, about 14 times, depending on your translation in this text. So as we're walking through this text, you need to make sure you pay attention. If you, if you underline in your Bible, if you circle, if you use different color markers like I do, then circle those words, faith, belief. Circle that in one color. Circle counted in another. Pay attention to every time it says counted here because this is that credited. Remember we said last week, Old Testament saints are saved by credit on Christ's payment on the cross. New Testament saints are paid by debit on Christ's payment on the cross. We're all saved by what Christ did. So we launch into number one. Point number one, faith, not works. Verses one through eight. So what shall we say then? You see, he's anticipating the objection. What shall we say then was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Dear Lord, as we start walking through this text, I ask for your help. Lord, I ask you to give me the right words that you would communicate through your spirit in power what we need to receive. Lord, I, I'm not worthy to stand and proclaim this. I don't have the intellect to be able to explain this as clearly as I would like to our students. And so, Lord, would you fill in the gaps? Um, would you allow them to be able to see through your text what Paul was trying to communicate to the Romans and what you, through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, are trying to communicate to us about salvation? Lord, we wanna glorify you. I pray that we would do that during this time. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. So Paul asked the question, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather? Abraham's the biggest figure. Abraham is the guy. He is quoting the person that everybody's gonna look back to. And he says this, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. He could boast to all of us. Now, he couldn't boast to God, but he could boast to all of us. Abraham has something to boast about. And immediately I say, yeah, all right, Abraham does have something to boast about. 
Because I think immediately back to Isaac and sacrificing his son. And in that context, I'm like, dude was a hero of the faith. But it continues on here. In verse three, it says, what does the scripture say? And here he's quoting Genesis 15, six. In Genesis 15, six, it says, Abraham believed God. Abraham had faith in God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. So Abraham believed what God was saying. He had faith in God and that was counted, that was credited, that was imputed to him as righteousness. Because he believed genuine faith, then he received righteousness, not because of the acts that he had done, but based upon his belief. And then he uses a logical argument here. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but his due. If you go work, at Chick-fil-A or Tost or Panda or anywhere else on campus and you put in your hours and you look in your bank account and your money's not there, you go talk to somebody and you say, what's the deal? You owe me this. I put in the hours, you're supposed to give me something. What Paul is saying here is if salvation is by works, we put in the hours, we put in the work, then God, you owe us something and we're never gonna be in a position where we can look at the almighty creator that we've rebelled against and say, you owe me something. So he's using this logical argument we all understand and he's saying, Abraham didn't get it by works. If he did it by works, then his wages are not counted or credited or imputed as a gift. You're not giving me a gift if I earned it. You're giving me a gift if I did nothing to earn it. And then you give it to me anyway. That's grace. That's mercy. That's what he's logically laying out for him here. And then he says, but to the one who does not work, but believes, has faith. In him who justifies the ungodly. Now, this is a radical statement. But he who has faith in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted, it's credited, it's imputed as righteousness. So what he's saying here is that God actually declares us righteous and just. He justifies us. He doesn't make us righteous. He declares us righteous. He makes the ungodly justified. He makes the unjust just. Only God can do that. So if you're in the room right now and you're thinking about salvation and you're like, listen, you, I still mess up every day. Welcome to the club. Now you don't understand my thoughts. They're just not good. My, my anxiety, my lack of trust in God sometimes, it's just not healthy. Yeah, welcome to the club. No, 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 I'm worse than ever. No, you're not. We don't put on social media all the bad things we do or all the bad thoughts we have or all the struggles we have, and we shouldn't. But that doesn't mean that every last one of us in this room is not struggling with something. And it doesn't mean that every last one of us in this room doesn't have a doubt about, have I done this right? Have I done enough? Am I good enough? And what Paul is trying to say here is he's already laid it out for you in 21 through 31. Look, you can be declared righteous by faith, believe in God's promises, and he will declare you as righteous. That makes no sense, but man, that's good news. And I wanna tell all of you in this room right now, you say, I'm struggling, I'm wrestling with this, I don't understand this. He's doubling down in chapter four. He's saying it's not by works. If it's by works, it's not a gift. He's saying that God actually justifies the ungodly. God actually justifies the unjust. That's us. So you can do this through the power of the Spirit. You can have faith in God. 
And it's not about the size of your faith. You know, I talk to some of my friends and my friends are like, they wanna walk on water. They wanna be the Peter that gets out of the boat. You know what? The Peters that get out of the boat often are the Peters that are sinking in the waves too. But there are some people that are never gonna get out of the boat. They can be just as saved as the Peters getting out of the boat. And here he says, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, in case we're not getting it, righteousness apart from works, separate. And so then he quotes Psalm 32. So Genesis 15, six, now Psalms. He's quoted the law, now he's quoted the writings. So if he's building an argument, if he's making his argument, he's quoted two different sources from two different areas, and he's quoted two different people that would have great authority, the greatest king in the history and the patriarch of the entire religion. And he's saying to them here, this is what David says, and this is what David says when David's talking about his sin with Bathsheba. So David has messed up with a premeditated sin of lusting or coveting, breaking one of the Ten Commandments to somebody else, and then committing adultery, breaking another of the Ten Commandments with somebody else. And then to cover it up, he lied and premeditatedly had Uriah murdered on the front lines, and so he's at least involved in that in some sense, breaking like three of the Ten Commandments. And here, this is what David said in Psalm 32, "'Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven.'" You've got to be kidding me. This is unconditional, irreconcilable, ununderstandable, amazing grace that God would forgive David and even write in his word that David's a man after God's own heart. His lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Do you see what they're saying here? doesn't matter what you've done, you can still be forgiven. Okay, now how does this fit with James? So I've got James, we can throw James up on the screen. Here's what James says. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Well, wait a second, that seems like a contradiction. It gets worse. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that said Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He quoted the same verse, y'all. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Well, you can't trust your Bible, right? Don't snip that part and put it out there. That's not, that's not the whole story. You see what's happening here. If you have a faith that is just, I know that there's something that exists, but I don't actually trust it. So I'm not actually gonna live by it. Even the demons believe and tremble. If you genuinely believe God's promises, then friend, it's gonna take you a journey and it's gonna take you some time. But if you genuinely believe in God's promises, say by belief, by faith only, then eventually that faith will manifest itself as authentic, in works. You're not saved by the works. You're saved to the works. You will know a tree by its fruit. And so the tree produces good fruit, not ungodly fruit. And eventually you're gonna see that happen in your life. You guys are pretty young. This is easier to understand when you're like my age and you see the progression of growth and sanctification over your life than it is when you're your age. I mean, some of you haven't had time to do very many bad things yet. 
Some of you are pretty proficient at it early on in life, and that's a different story. But what James is saying here, put the verse back up for me right quick. Faith that is not gonna result in any works is useless. Abraham was justified, according to Paul, by his faith that then resulted over time in his willingness to offer up Isaac, which demonstrated the works that his faith was authentic. You see, faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. So here's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You were saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any person should boast. But you're also saved to be his workmanship, works prepared beforehand. And so here's the best that I can articulate this to you clearly. Is friends, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. And when you believe God's promises and you start pursuing God, that's gonna result in some works, future points in your life that will demonstrate to you, yeah, I've been saved. Those works don't save you. Don't try to bear a weight that you can't bear. Here's, here's another quick example of how I'm trying to do this. Have you guys ever seen a chair? No, you've never seen a chair, okay. If I told you to define a chair for me, you could tell me what a chair is. You understand the concept of a chair. If I told you there was a chair on this stage, you might even believe me. There's a chair on this stage. So this is a chair. So the question is, do I trust this chair? Well, I need to examine it. Because our faith is somewhat rational too. It's got screws. It's got one, two, it's got several of them. It's got some welds and some more screws and tape on the bottom. I don't know why it has tape on the bottom, but that's a little concerning. Well, okay, hold on. Yeah, I'm not sure I can trust it. But you know what? I've sat in that chair before. It stays back there. So based off of all that, I can say, oh, I trust it. And I can sit, don't fall. That would be bad. I can sit in the chair. What are y'all doing? Y'all are clapping like I did something. I sat down. That's exactly how your salvation is. You didn't do anything. You believed in the promises of God. That's all you did. You trusted that God's word is true. So let's see how he continues on here. So it's not works, it's not rituals. It's faith, not rituals. We'll walk through this quickly. The next two are fast, and the last one will take a little bit. Is the blessing then only for the circumcised? Oh, here you go, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all these people with circumcision, it's the big deal. You have to be circumcised, right? It's a big deal. Is it only for the circumcised? For we say that faith was counted, credited, imputed to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It wasn't after, but it was before he was circumcised. In fact, it was like 14 years before he was circumcised that he was credited as faith. So it's not by rituals. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of his righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose of this was to make him the father of all who believed. Now think about this, and this just blows my mind sometimes when I think about this. Abraham wasn't Jewish when he was the father of the Jews. He hadn't been circumcised yet. The Jews hadn't been constituted yet. Abraham's the father of all who believe. 
He was the father of all who believed before circumcision ever existed. It didn't come along till much later. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised outwardly, but those who also walk in the footsteps of the faith, of the belief that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. I would sing the song to you, but there's this children's song about Father Abraham. He had many sons. I am one of them, and so are you. It's that faith aspect of where you're sons of Abraham. And so Paul's laying it out here. It's not by works. Friends, it's not by circumcision. How does that apply to us? It's not by baptism. You are not saved by baptism. The thief on the cross was never baptized. This day you will be with me in paradise. Paul, when he's writing, says, I thank God I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. He's never gonna say, I thank God I baptized none of you if baptism is required for salvation. Baptism is the first act of obedience. It is the outward profession of the inward decision of identifying with Christ and proclaiming to others that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and I wanna be part of a fellowship. So that's who I'm proclaiming it to. It's a local church ordinance. It's not salvation. So then we move on. Number three, it's by faith, not the law, because you know that's coming next. For the promise, he introduces the word promise in here again repeatedly. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law. Why? The law hadn't been written yet. It didn't exist. It was through trusting the promises of God. It didn't come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, of belief, for it was the adherents of the law who were to be the heirs. Faith is null and the promise is void. If it's by keeping the law, if it's by your works, then it doesn't matter. For the law brings wrath. We've talked about this. We've already gone through this condemnation section. We all mess up. We all suppress the truth. We all turn away from God. All the law does is tell us about it. And the law shows us our need for a savior. The law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there's no transgression. When there's no law, we may not know that we are sinning against God. Perhaps our conscience condemns us, but that is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, not just one nation, not just Israel, of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And that kind of carries over into the next point. What's this point here? It's not by the law, it's by faith. To the God who can create things ex nihilo just like he did the world, to the God who gives life to the dead, just like he did Jesus. And then I've split it right here, verse 18, to 25 to give us a fourth point. Here's my fourth point for you. It's faith and a promise-keeping God is what saves us. Am I saved? Have you believed? Has there ever been a time in your life you've been convicted of your sin, you repented, and you put your faith and trust in God, and you say, I know what, I believe that God did what he said he did, and I believe he can forgive me of my sins, and I believe he's gonna raise me again. I believe all the promises that God has said, 
and I'm gonna put my future and my trust in God's promises. I'm gonna take the seat in God's chair and I'm gonna say, you know what, Lord? I am no longer in control. I am no longer the captain of my own ship. I am no longer the master of my own domain. I am a servant writing a blank check to you to say I trust you because you're God. And all I'm doing is trusting because every other thing I do is worthless rags. And here's what it says. Verse 18, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so your offspring shall be. There's a nice little play on words here in verse 19. He did not weaken in faith. That word weaken, think about this. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. How old was he? He was about 100. His body was weak. He didn't weaken in his faith even though he was weakened in his flesh. There's a nice little play on words there. It gets even better which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or he didn't weaken in his faith when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Sarah, about 90 years old, who's gonna bear a child at 90 years old? He didn't weaken in his faith. No, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong. Now, there you, there you go. Circle it, highlight it, draw, draw a line back to it. He didn't grow weak in his faith. He grew strong in his faith. And how did he grow strong in his faith? He gave glory to God. As he grew strong in his faith, as he gave glory to God, fully convinced, there's the belief, there's the trust, fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promised. I trust God. I trust the promises of God. I am still messed up but I trust the promises of God. He's gonna keep working on me and I'm gonna keep going in a slow walk in one direction. I'm gonna keep stumbling forward as I'm climbing that mountain through the power of the Holy Spirit and I slip and I fall, I get back up and I take another step forward and I slip and I fall again and I get back up and I take another step forward and I fall down the hill a little bit and I say, that's not it. I'm gonna keep moving forward by the power of the Spirit. I'm gonna keep going. I'm not saved by all of those steps forward. I'm saved by the faith way back there and then I continue on this journey to be more like Christ. That's my sanctification. My justification has already happened. My sanctification is gonna take a while. To be more like Christ is gonna take some work, some effort, some no Bible, no breakfast, some meditation on scripture, some listening to sermons, some praising in worship, some fellowship with authentic believers, participation in a local church, he continues on here and he says, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promises, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promised. This is why faith was counted, credited, imputed to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted, credited, imputed to him. They're not written for his sake alone. Here's the good news for you this morning, friends. Here's the great news for you this morning, but for ours also. It will be counted, it will be credited, it will be imputed to us who believe. Don't overcomplicate it. Do you believe God is a God of his promises? That's salvation. You believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. You say, okay, I believe, but, but I mess up. I've got it written down in here somewhere. I don't have time to find it. 
listen, Abraham messed up too. You know the story of Abraham. If you don't, go back and read it through Genesis. Abraham comes out, he's called, he goes. He goes to a country he hasn't seen. That's faith. He, he goes out, I give him that, I grant him that. He's married, he goes to a king, and the king, because his wife's so beautiful, he tells them that that's his sister. And he says to them, they're gonna kill me because they want you, so you tell them your sister. It is his half-sister, so it is technically true. It's just a half-truth, it's not a whole lie. It's still a lie. He deceives them, and now think about what he did. Guys, you got a good-looking girl and you show up at a state dinner and the person that's really powerful comes up to you and they say, who is that beautiful person that you're with? And you say, oh, that's my sister. Can I get you your number? But you're married to her. What is she gonna think of you? I mean, like, I mean, like, there's, seriously? She's not your girl after that night. Like, that's not happening. Never, ever, ever getting back together again. Like, it's just not happening. Like, there's a song in there somewhere by somebody, and she would write it swiftly because it's important <laughs> to say never, ever, 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 ever getting back together again. You're done. She would be the chief of all songs. I'm just saying, it's important. <laughs> And that's what he did. That's bad, y'all. And then Abraham goes through. And you get to Genesis 15, it's like, I'm, I'm make a promise to you, not because of what you're gonna do, because I'm a promise-keeping God. You're the one, here we go, this is it. There's 14 years from that promise of you're gonna be the, the father of many nations till the circumcision, at least 14 years. Doriani says there's like 24, but there's at least 14 years. So God makes you a promise. And he says, you're gonna have a son and it doesn't happen right away. Has God ever made you a promise or have you ever thought you were claiming a promise and it didn't happen right away? Listen, y'all, y'all haven't been alive long enough to have a promise like Abraham did. 14 years. If you're 22 and you're in the room, subtract 14 from that. Do you remember what you made promises of at eight? Like, probably not. And if it's 24 years, you're not even born yet. And there was a promise to Abraham. And did he mess up? Well, yeah, there's this whole Ishmael and, and, and Hagar thing going on here where he didn't trust God's promise, so they went about the way the culture would do this, and he messed up again. And then even after he messed up again, God comes back and visits him again, and God says, no, 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 I'm not talking about Ishmael. I'm talking about a, a son that's gonna be born to you, and you're gonna call him Isaac. This is the promise I made to you a long time ago, and when we don't trust God and his promises and we try to take it into our own hands, we royally mess stuff up, and he royally messed stuff up. And then even after that promise comes, there's another king, and this other king, he does the same thing again. He didn't learn from the first time. He says, look, you're beautiful. He's going to want to take you and kill me. Let's tell him that you're a sister. And then God protects him from doing anything in the wrong there. But Abraham did it again. Abraham, where's your faith? You can play this both ways. Abraham, you did this twice. Are you kidding me? What is your wife thinking about you? You went and took it into your own hands with the maid, with the help, with the servant. Are you kidding me? This is wrong. On the other hand, Abraham, you went out to a place you'd never seen because God called you to go out. You went out, you battled for Lot. Abraham had no Bible, like we do. 
Abraham had no good Christian community around him like we do. Abraham's relative that was saved was Lot. And he lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he slept with his daughters. Abraham still believed. He still kept walking. And then that son of promise was born. A minimum of 14 years later. Maybe 24 years later. And he got it. And at that point in time, God said to him, offer up the son, the son of promise. And he didn't waste time. He got up early in the morning and he took the son of promise and he went up the son of promise with the, to do the sacrifice. And, and Isaac says to him, where's the sacrifice? And maybe he tells him, maybe he doesn't. You're the sacrifice. And he puts him down and he's too old to restrain him and there's no way he can do that. And Isaac has faith too. And it tells us in the book of Hebrews that he reckoned that God could raise him from the dead. He got it. He got it but it took him a long time to really get it. And sometimes what I fear is that you look at others who it's taken a really, really long time for us to get it, and you say, I don't know that I got it. And I wanna tell you, believe in God. So here's my application to you. God is faithful, you can trust him. What's Paul showing us in chapter four? It is justification by faith alone. Even for Abraham, even for David, and even for me and you. It's written for our sakes so that we'll see it. So friend, here's what God's offering you. God is offering you radical, unconditional, complete forgiveness. Do you trust him? The Bible tells us John writes, I've written these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. In the Gospel of John, he says, I've written these things so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ. You can know. The devil wants you sitting in unbelief and doubt, and God says, now you can know. How can I know? Believe. There's a God that keeps his promises, and you can have faith in him. Here's the other thing I wanna encourage all of you to is there was nothing special about Abraham or David or anybody else that you look up to. They believed. They sat down in the chair. And God has taken them on an incredible journey. You can sit down in the chair too. It's not about you. It's not about how smart you are. It's not about all your talents. It's about an amazing God. But friend, if you wanna do something that matters in this life, sit down in the chair. Trust God. Trust in his promises. Trust in his word. Take that slow, long walk in the same direction and keep stumbling forward, trusting in him and believing in him. 14 years, y'all. It's not gonna be easy, but it's worth it. It's not gonna fix everything tomorrow, but it's true. God can use you to do more than you could ever imagine. All right, so I'm weak. How do I, how do I get strong? Give glory to God. My faith is weak. How do I give, get stronger in that? Sing praises to God. Pray to God. 
Read his word, worship God, tell others about God, give glory in everything you do to God. Friends, as you give glory to God, you're gonna grow stronger in your faith. You wanna grow really strong in your faith? Everything you do, you stay humble and you exalt him and you give all the glory to God and your faith will continue to increase over time. And friends, the Lord will do more through you than you could ever think or imagine for his glory and for your great joy. And that's what we're supposed to do. Now, God, I pray that if there's anything been said that's helpful, you'd sink it deep into our minds and our hearts and bring it to mind when the devil casts those lies of doubt. But Lord, if there's anything that's been said that's unhelpful, just help us to forget it and move on. God, we wanna glorify you. We wanna live a life for you. We wanna serve you well. So help us to do that for your honor, for your glory, not our own, but for our joy as we are faithful stewards of what you've entrusted to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You're dismissed.